0: Welcome to the Traffic Masters Show. Each week, Traffic Masters explores the lifeblood of your business, generating traffic, turning visitors into leads, and conversion strategies. Mastering traffic and conversion allows you to grow a business you love and live the life of your dreams. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Traffic Masters here on Blog Talk Radio. I am your co-host. Gina Gaudio-Graves, the co-founder of Divisio, D-U-V-I-S-I-O, the affiliate network for all niches, as well as the dean and founder of Directions University at directionsuniversity.com. We have my co-host and co-founder of Divizio, associate dean at Directions University, Jack Humphrey, joining us today as well. Hello, Jack. Oh, it would help if I got you guys unmuted,
2: wouldn't it? Oh hello, hello Jack. again. I am here and uh we have a great guest today. We, we have uh, I know I've been
1: looking forward to this one.
2: Okay, so you seem to think he's here so that's good enough for me. I'll give him an intro and we'll get going. We have Eric Graham who is a lifelong serial entrepreneur and has founded over thirty five highly successful businesses. He's also an active angel investor and advisory board member for dozens of other companies. An in-demand speaker, he delivers talks worldwide on business, marketing, and personal growth. Eric's unique area of expertise and genius is helping businesses, his own, ones he invests in, and his coaching clients experience rapid, sustainable, exponential growth. His services as a coach have allowed many of his hand-picked private clients to rapidly grow their businesses from the low six figures to well into the eight figures. Welcome, Eric.
0: Hey, Jack. Great to be on. Hey, Gina.
2: Hey, Eric. So you guys seem to know each other, or Gina, you have just always wanted to meet Eric. Which which
0: is it?
1: I think we've actually talked once or twice, haven't we, Eric?
0: I think so. I, I think uh, maybe back, uh, were, were you there when I spoke at Big Seminar, like oh, five or six years ago? I think
2: year? I was years ago.
0: Yeah. Yep, we, we go way back. I mean, are you sure that was online, only
2: five or six years?
0: Might be even longer than that. I've, I've been working <laughs> online yeah, since Yeah, I think it's probably so.
1: more like seven or eight.
0: Yeah, so we're we're
2: old Armin yeah, calls day, them something again. totally different. Yep, we. I was at the first big seminar, uh, and that was. Um, I think I wrote a pterodactyl into that one. That's how long ago that was. So
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> well, Eric, what are you into
0: these days? What are you excited about? Well, um, I spend about ninety percent of my time these days actually doing this stuff, and only about ten percent coaching or, or teaching or speaking on it. So I've got uh, you know out of out of all the different companies I've, I've built, I've got about a dozen of them uh, right now that I'm actively kind of involved with on a not a day to day basis, but, but on an ongoing basis. I, I like to set my companies up to where they're they're Uh, more lifestyle kind of company, so I'll I'll hire a COO or a general manager to handle the day-to-day operations, and they get about 30 minutes of my time every couple weeks, and um, so that kind of frees me up to start something new. I've got that entrepreneurial ADD, so I'm always starting something new, getting it up and going, and then I hand it off to other people to run, so.
2: Well, tell us about that model, because that sounds really awesome and exciting for all of our ADD listeners here The uh, <laughs> the idea of, well, this, this is like most people, I mean, they get something started and then they have some point after the starting point, uh, a little bit of a withdrawal or like, uh, I don't know, or they want to move on or whatever. And that's why a lot of people out there recommend if you're a starter, make sure that you partner up with a finisher or you're in deep doo-doo or come up with maybe a system like you've developed, which is what?
0: Well, you're exactly right there, Jack, in, in terms of the starter needs a finisher. Um, you, and we've seen this dynamic even in big companies. I mean, everybody looks at like Steve Jobs and thinks, oh, wow, he was brilliant. He did it all by himself. But he had Wozniak. And, and you look at, you know, Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Bill Gates had Paul Allen. And, and you even look at uh, Warren Buffett. Well, he had Charlie Munger. You'll, you'll see in all of these very, very successful companies, you've got the visionary, but then you've got the implementer. And it, it's important as an entrepreneur to understand which one you are. Um, are you the visionary? Are you the leader? Are you the big idea kind of guy, or are you the person who, you know, gets down in the trenches and, and turns the nuts and bolts and, and actually makes the vision come to pass? And and something I've seen particularly, unfortunately, in like the the internet marketing space, is there's a lot of starters, but not a lot of finishers. And um, and, and I uh, said at the beginning, I'm a serial entrepreneur, not a parallel entrepreneur. And what that kind of means is um, I don't, even though I've got a dozen different companies I'm running right now, uh, at any one time, I'm only focused on one of them, okay? I'll, I'll start one, get it up and running, and then hand it off once I get the systems and the procedures and the right people in place. And it's something that I've seen keep a lot of people Broke or at least performing far below their their ultimate potential is they get that bright shiny object syndrome and they'll jump from idea to idea to idea without getting one of them up and running and producing cash flow and, and monetizing uh, before they move on to another idea and and I did that years back I and mean, like I said I started marketing online in 1994 so I've been at this for a very long time but it wasn't until about 2001. That my online income actually got big enough where I could go full time and, and you know get out of the rat race and, and get away from jobs. And what kept me broke between '94 and in 2001, or at least kept me from performing uh, at, at the level I thought I could, is that spread of my focus. I would be trying to do four or five different businesses at the same time and trying to grow four or five at the same time. And it wasn't until I really switched my mindset to just building one business and then moving on to another and another and another, that I actually started to to achieve some pretty decent success.
2: So how far along do you like to have something before you feel like it's time to pass it off?
0: Well, it depends a little bit on the particular business and the structure. If it's a product-based business, you can pass it off actually pretty quickly. Once you get the, the core product built, the core funnel, things like that, Uh, For service-based businesses or or things like that, um, it becomes more about finding the right people and the right team. So on the product side, it's once the product's done, the funnel's up and and running, then you just send it off to people to drive traffic and service the customers. In a more service-based company, um, it really is about getting the right people in place and then the right systems and procedures for those people uh, to operate within the business. And so um, it varies from business to business, but um, I've got it kind of down to a, a fairly predictable cookie cutter system where I can, within about three to six months of starting something up, have it at a point where I can hand it off and take a little mini retirement for you know another three to six months and then go at it again. I've, I kind of work in cycles, and I've found that's how I work best. I've got what I call my building phases and then my mini retirement phases. So I'll I'll hit it real hard for anywhere from three months to two years and build a lot of new things, and then I'll just kind of, you know, relax and, and enjoy life and the family and adventure and stuff like that for, you know, another anywhere from three months to two years. So it's kind of been my, my cycle throughout my career. Nice.
2: Are there any trends right now any for you personally what kinds of things would get you out of bed in the morning or make you lay awake at night wondering if you're missing the boat on any new new services or new tech or new products um trending i mean you know there's there's different kinds of things that we work on in in our space which is like training and uh, education products things like that and then uh you know there's there's quick and dirty services. We have local uh, I have uh, brick road media and we do we help local businesses, small businesses um, with all of their obvious needs uh, on the internet. What kinds of services or products or uh, anything else that you see uh, lately really gets you excited? or do you see any trends on where things might be going that are interesting to you?
0: Well, yeah. There's there's some short term trends that, that I'm looking at, and then some some medium and, and very very long term uh, kind of things I'm looking at. The the short term, actually, I'm I'm really enjoying Periscope and Blab. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to get on there, uh, Joel. Uh, Joel Com, probably a mutual oh, friend of yeah. all three of us. He's 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 dragged me into the the world of Blab uh, here recently, and he honestly, got you, huh? Oh, he he got me uh, uh, hooked pretty good on it actually. And I really see that uh, as a, a very powerful platform builder for people in certain spaces uh, that I think has a, a lot of potential uh, over the next, uh, you know, 12 months to, to a couple of years. Uh, where if somebody takes advantage of that platform and takes advantage of live streaming in general, so Periscope, Miracat, uh, I know Facebook's got Facebook Live coming out, uh, but if, if they take advantage of that live streaming. Uh, kind of platform, they can really build a brand and an audience around that if they do it strategically. I mean, don't get me wrong. People can waste a ton of highly productive (laughs) time on there and and not get anything done. But if you do it strategically with with a brand in mind, with a a core set of value that you want to deliver to a very specific audience, um, I think right now is kind of like the early days of like Twitter or blogging and things like that where if somebody – takes advantage of it, uh, does it strategically, focuses on a a specific audience, I think um, new people actually have the potential of building a very big audience and following on a couple of those platforms uh, in a a quite short period of time. Because one of the things, um, I'm I'm very big on following uh, exponential growth curves, both in my business and trends in the marketplace, and it, it's like having, like especially right now with the lab, um, which I, I don't know, they, they don't publish the number of uh, users that they have, but I know Periscope is up to about 10 million right now, last time I checked. but it, it's like yeah. having one of the first, you know, couple hundred thousand Twitter accounts, really, uh, right now, that if you do it properly, your audience will grow as a result of the wave of the platform growing. Um, if you can be one of the early adopters that, you know, consistently puts out really good quality content on some of those platforms, so a so unique opportunity for some people that are just getting started that haven't really built a platform, um, if they do it strategically. Like I said, you waste a whole lot of time doing it. Um, a couple of the other trends well, that's a that's at... a really
2: good point, actually. Yeah, the uh, we we experienced that effect on Google Plus. You know, it was a new was platform brilliant. when it was a new platform. I jumped in with both feet, as did a lot of people, and our best our best years are behind us there, but it was really, really cool when uh, when it started because, I mean, there weren't a lot of people to look at. There was Robert Scoble and everybody else, as it was Never. all the time with a new social site that started up. It was Robert <laughs> Scoble Show and then everybody else. Um, but everybody else did really good because, you know, most people didn't want to go away from uh, other platforms Right away, so we just kind of ensconced ourselves there and really benefited greatly. So I totally see how that can that can be happening over at Periscope and Blab as well.
0: Oh, absolutely! I mean, you can get on the wave and ride it, and, and your audience and following will grow just as a natural result of the growth of the platform. Uh, which you know, I mean, right now, if you want to build a huge Twitter following or a huge. Facebook following the the barrier to entry you know it's, it can still certainly be done if, if you're producing the content but mm-hmm. the barrier to entry is lower than on a new platform that um, uh, particularly a, a platform that I think you know has a, a decent amount of legs I mean things will go in cycles and two or three years from now it'll be a new thing and a new thing but if you build the audience then you can take your audience with you uh, to a good degree into the new platform because you you've built that familiarity you've built that no like and trust factor which I think is is, uh, out of all of the different mediums out there, I think video and and particularly this live streaming where you can engage real time or with Blab, you can have other participants on there with you. People get to know you and like you and trust you so much better in that visual kind of high engagement medium than perhaps just writing on a blog or or some other kind of uh, platform building things that people have. Yeah.
2: What do you think about that? I just did a a share not too long ago. I think it was Sunday, I think, maybe even yesterday. I'm not sure. Uh, But it was a Yahoo study on uh, something about content is king again. And it talked about – it had all of these different graphs, and they showed how many people are on mobile consuming content and how many people on mobile are actually using their browsers to do anything over apps where they're doing yeah. almost everything. And uh, I posted it, and I said kind of out of the side of my cheek was uh, – and I'm not even going to bother posting this on my blog. <laughs> As you can see, none of these guys are going to – only 14% of people, I think is the stat, uh, are actually using um, their browsers in any significant way, like opening up Chrome on yep. their Android phone and going and searching for stuff, they're, which tells me they're complete, almost completely relying on social – Signals to find anything, interact with anything,
0: or do anything with anything.
2: Is, is that yep. uh, kind of how you're feeling about it?
0: Well, yeah, that is exactly what I'm seeing, um really across the board too. That that's the the benefit of I that uh, that I have of having you know a lot of companies in a lot of different spaces, and then you know some coaching clients that have companies in a lot of different spaces is I really can have my finger on the pulse of what's happening in, in business to consumer and business to business and, and, you know, health and fitness and investing in a lot of different areas, and that we're seeing it across the board, I mean, regardless of demographic, I mean, you're talking senior citizens down to, you know, teenagers, everybody is moving uh, to mobile, everybody is, is moving away from any kind of browser-based platform into engaging uh, via apps and so um, yeah uh, particularly in, in email as a matter of fact there's uh, certain market segments where eighty to ninety percent we're seeing of email open rates and click-through rates coming from mobile so if if the landing pages and, and the places you're driving your email based traffic are not mobile optimized um, and, and not as a a, as a side effect not taking your, your desktop optimized pages and, and sites and then just converting them to mobile but designing your conversion funnels with mobile in mind as being the primary uh, way people are going to engage into your funnels and, and accept your offers and stuff. You're two or three years behind the curve right now. Yeah.
2: Well, obviously I sense no fear or or any sense of uh, dread in your voice about the the bygone days and it seems like uh That means that you've adjusted quite well with the companies you work with and the stuff that you're doing when you set something up. I'm sure that that's the protocol that you follow. It's all about mobile, and it's all about how people view it on their different devices or different screens and how it can appeal. I mean, even sales tactics have to change. Like, there are things that you could do on a long-form sales letter that's uh, viewed on a desktop that you can't do or should not do the same way when you know that your users are mobile, or for the most part they are. Um, But you seem undaunted by that. What kinds of things um, do you automatically do? Let's say you found a company, you started up something today. Uh, You found a product, you bought it, whatever, or you created one, you're you're starting something up today. What's your uh, protocol for the most priority things that you have to do in setting something up for success right out of the gate? In terms of traffic and how it's facing uh, the market and things like that.
0: Well, great question, Jack. Um, well, what, what I do, and um, and like I said, I, I miss the days of those long form sales letters. I mean, I, I studied under under Gary Halbert, and I mean, I, I comes from some some pretty copy uh, intensive kind of yeah, mindset yeah. in terms of how I market. I mean, I I, I do watch some of those days sometimes where you get you, know, you a yeah. big red headline in the ugly sales letter. I mean, I made millions doing that. But mm-hmm. um, the interesting thing is. Uh, the format in, in the visuals and things like that have changed, but the underlying actual persuasive sales psychology uh, is the same today. Now, the, the strategy, the tactics have, have right. changed, and I'll, I'll talk about some of those here in a second. But the, the persuasive strategy of, of getting people's attention, uh, of targeting the right customer, uh, which is always to me the, the core of any new offer or any new company, is before I even really, in a lot of cases, define the product or service I'm going to sell uh, within a market, I define my target customer, my, my avatar that I'm going to be selling to within that space. And I, I do a tremendous amount of research. I'll, I'll build out basically a, a dossier uh, with, that's very, very detailed, far beyond just the normal, you know, demographics and stuff like that. I'll go deep into psychographics and technographics. Their, their level of comfort with technology, what kind of devices they're using. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get on the phone and actually, I mean, gasp! I will talk to them on the phone like real people. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, uh, what? I'm, I'm,
2: You're not supposed I to don't. do that. Make no contact I with your market but, at all.
0: I will lose my internet marketer cred if people knew this about me. <laughs> They'll but, find well, out yeah. who you are, Eric. Exactly. But, but but anyways, once once I have that deep level understanding of my target customer and in their pain points, uh, their hopes and their dreams, and and I, I really have that crystal clear, then honestly, building a product or service to best serve them becomes very very easy and once you have a product or service that meets the needs and adds tremendous amount of value to a specific target uh, audience uh it, it becomes the conversion side becomes very easy because you're writing to it literally uh, I- exactly what they want and need um and then finding and driving traffic once you have that crystal clear understanding of who your target audience is becomes very easy as well and so um, as I'm building out the funnels, though um, tactically, uh, as, as you asked at the beginning, it is all about mobile first. Um, we'll, we'll do everything designed for mobile, just with the that in mind. That the bulk of our conversions are going to come from mobile, and that's even in in markets where you know, let's say, still 60 or 70 percent of the email traffic, for example, is mobile. But there are certain markets, particularly business to consumer, with with older demographics which which I do some selling there um, where they still are uh, 40 to you know 50% desktop based in terms of how they convert but even in those markets right now I'm starting with mobile first because right now they might be 40 to 50% of the traffic is coming from desktop um, but 12 24 months out that's not going to be the way it is the, the trend is continuing and continuing um, now the the line between mobile and desktop, once you get into tablets and different devices like that, it kind of blurs and it blends. And so mm-hmm. you gotta, you know, like back in the day we would do browser compatibility tests for how does it look on Netscape and all of that and <laughs> all of the the different yeah. browsers. Well, nowadays it, it's even more complex because you you not only have different browsers, you've got different devices and screen resolutions and. But it just makes the game more fun though.
2: Thank goodness somebody came up with the idea of responsive uh because exactly. wow. For a minute there we didn't have that idea and we were struggling. I wish I would have come up with it because we struggled for a couple of years like making mobile sites and just having to make a whole different like site and then you know it just didn't it was like ah, as the designer and as the one who was putting the sites together it was a pain because we were doing all the browser checks and everything else and then we were making individual brand-new sites to go along with the regular site. And uh, yeah. a really, truly good responsive site is not the one that passes the test at Google's little testing, uh, mobile-friendly test. It's a site that actually looks like a site that was created without having to create two sites for mobile. Exactly. You know. And exactly. I was like, God, oh, man, I was so glad when that came along. I'm like, okay, if we're going to go this way, could somebody tell me how we're supposed to design these sites? So they look good on everything, and we know in a bulletproof way that even if you look on on, a a really strange phone, that it's going to somewhat look the way you would like it to look, you know, that's going to perform and actually get people engaged with it, which is the whole purpose. Yeah, for a minute there, though, it was kind of dicey. It's like, man, nobody knows what they're doing. We're just creating these
0: phones, and how do we develop for these things? (laughs) It was creepy. No, you you're exactly right Jack I and mean, I'm glad we are through that transition but but even today uh with responsive design I still like to start at the lowest common denominator so I'll, I'll look at what is the the smallest screen that this will probably ever be viewed on at least by maybe more than 5% of the the traffic that'll be coming across this I mean you could you know get down mm-hmm. into ridiculous numbers if you really try to be everything for everybody but but I'll start the design from the the smallest typical you know footprint, and make sure that everything looks good there, and then you know at, at Obviously, as you scale up responsibly, um, if done properly, uh, the the look and feel and persuasive format isn't going to change as you you know increase screen size. So,
2: yeah, you know what? There's even another uh, there's even another touch point there, or a data point, and it, it's not how it looks on whatever size screen. It has to look right on the size screen that your target demographic, your avatar uses.
0: That's exactly <laughs> right? right. And that's...
2: I mean, it's not like ubiquitous. big It's not everybody has the phone that I have in my pocket. And it really doesn't matter if I'm not in your target market. You shouldn't be designing for the phone in my pocket. You should be designing for be the phone in there. their pocket.
0: And, and that's why it's so critical that people need to understand that, that technographic profile. I mean, they can get a tremendous amount of data out of Google Analytics in, in terms of what their target audience is using, and, um, and and I recommend people you know mine that data very very aggressively, and watch the the change because the the device your audience is looking at it today, six to twelve months from now, could be completely different. You have to stay ahead of that uh, continuously.
2: Yeah, I wonder if somebody might do a study, or maybe there has been one done based on a business that was. Uh, created, or or a business person who came up like we did long, long ago and uh, grew up in a desktop world, basically. And, yep. uh, and the, to the degree that they did not change their desktop ways and that their business has gone down, I wonder if there's any correlation in how the mobile usage has gone up. Like maybe there is a correlation between a desktop world and a – uh, profits, and the way that all of this has shifted, and those who have not shifted with it, you could track their down uh, downward spiral in their profits to the upward spiral in uh, mobile usage, because people just aren't engaging on their sites the way they would or they used to on desktop.
0: Well, it's interesting to ask that, Jack, because I, I haven't seen any broad studies, but but I do have some kind of case studies on, on specific um, kind of one-on-one engagements that shows exactly what you're saying. I had a, uh, somebody that joined one of my coaching programs. Uh, I guess it's been about, well, I think it's been a year now that he, uh, he uh, joined, but uh, he was big in the supplement space, um, done huge, huge things in the supplement space, but did exactly what you're talking about. He he started back in the early 2000s, um, did a really, really well in supplements, but he was uh, of the kind of the, the older school mindset that if it's, not broke, don't mess with it. And so he had some very high converting offers, very high converting sites and landing pages, but over the years they just kept, you know, dropping down, dropping down, dropping down, and when he came on board with me uh, about a year ago, um, it was horribly, horribly outdated, and literally the the first thing we did was we went in, uh, did a couple split and multivariate test rounds to, to uh, identify a, a few key kind of um, Target market hot buttons that I that I thought he was missing. Once we identified those, converted everything to very mobile responsive, and tripled his business um, just with just those two changes. Just you know, identifying just one or two hot buttons and then switching them to, to a more mobile responsive, mobile friendly platform, and everything else stayed exactly the same. Same offers, same price points, and uh, tri- tripled That's his business definitive. just with that. So absolutely. I am so, it, I'm it, so in, glad in, you
2: didn't change everything that you could. If you would have gone in and changed everything, we would never have known if there was that correlation. I mean, we kind of all sense it, right? We we Everybody pretty much knows. If you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. In your gut, you know that probably that's right. But that's why I asked because I thought, maybe he's got one. Maybe well, he
0: knows. <laughs> I, I do. And and interestingly, he, he came to me because he actually wanted me to write copy for a brand new video sales letter, which we're actually doing now that we've uh, done that for him but he wanted me to write some copy for a, a video sales letter for him And but before we did that I, I wanted to kind of do that in isolation for the exact reason that you said um, because his core copy was okay you know it had been working for years but it's just he hadn't kept up with the evolution in the marketplace and so
2: which kind of stands up to what you said earlier the uh, strategies haven't changed human nature hasn't changed those core concepts haven't changed it's just the medium right so the copy should have still been fairly good maybe there are a couple of things you you want to tweak and everything but yeah that should have stood up
0: yeah yep and and so and and that's the 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 kind of the the cool thing for because i've always like i said growing up kind of with with gary halbert uh, is is sort of a mentor for me um i've always been big into split and multivariate testing um, you know, I, I started doing that offline with direct mail, and then in the early, or not early, but in the uh, late 90s, I was one of the first, I think, that, that I know of at all. I mean, Mark Joyner and I, you know, were, were kind of split testing at about the same time, but um, but I, I did some of the very first online split tests, and, and since then, I've done over 10,000 different split and multivariate tests, um, and the, the cool thing is, just like you said, the strategies haven't changed a bit. The, the consumer hot buttons for specific market segments are the same now as they were back in the 1800s, honestly, which are some of the best marketing books ever written. You know, we're way back there. I've got thousands of, of books in my library. But the mm-hmm. hot buttons that people respond to on, on an emotional and, and deep kind of neurological standpoint haven't changed a bit. But how you access them and the media you use and the tactics you use are continuously evolving, and the the challenge and the opportunity is they're evolving at a more and more rapid pace all the time. So it's, it's not going to get any better in terms of the change, and so that's where marketers really need to be paying attention to some of the bleeding edge kind of things that are coming out because, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the old Wayne Gretzky thing that you, you want to skate to where the puck is going and the puck's moving faster and faster uh, every year now. So it keeps it fun and interesting, right.
2: though. So, like, if you missed the the the, uh, the launch of WordPress and said, ah, who needs that, you probably yep. are stinging a little bit from that decision. And, and that would be the same thing if you, you know, it's... I have two different reactions to when, like, Joel will come on and um, Joel Kahn will come on and say, hey, everybody, I'm over here at this new thing called Blab. I'm like, dude, I'm still trying to figure out this last thing that you said was really cool. And what can – you know, But but I have to – sometimes I have to pull myself to it and not always – uh, reluctantly but reluctantly i have to figure out all right how do i pay attention to what joel's into because he always he's one of those people that goes and discovers new stuff and he he just blazes exactly. trails and goes over there he dragged brian g johnson kicking and screaming over there he dragged everybody else over <laughs> there to go look at it and it really is important i mean it, at, the, at the end of the day that's really what is important you got to figure out because if you um If you see people like that and the Scobles of the world are out there saying, hey, everybody needs to go check this out, one of the things that needs to tip you off is that all of those followers, those hundreds of thousands and millions of followers in in Scobles' case are all going to be exposed to that message of go check this out. And whether you like it or not – they're not going to be reading your email at that moment, so chill out. <laughs> they're over there checking over that, checking that thing out, and you might as well go because nobody's going to be answering your phone or, or anything else at that moment. So, you know, it's sometimes you have to drag yourself because it's like, God, could we all stop developing new stuff and just appreciate what we've got for five minutes? <laughs> like a day, like five days out of the year, we just take a break and there's no new development of any kind of chat, Snapchat, lab, Periscope or anything else, and we can all just use what we've got for five solid days, and then we'll and then we'll move to
0: the next thing. <laughs> I exactly wish. Sometimes. Oh, I wish too, Jack. Oh, trust me. I mean, uh, I know exactly where you're coming from, and and that's part of the reason why for for years I've always I haven't always been like a, a bleeding edge early adopter. Uh, of any of these things. Um, I, I would always kind of sit back and watch and, and see them maturing because my time is very, very valuable to me, like like insanely valuable. I'm um, very disciplined about what I do even in, in my personal life. I mean, I won't mow on my lawn. We've got cooks and housekeepers and, and that kind of stuff, not because you know I'm wealthy and, and too good to do that stuff. Just I, I want to keep my time. Either I'm working on something highly, highly productive, from spending time with my family and and doing stuff I love. Um, So I've always been very protective of diving into new things like this. I've I've let them mature Mm -hmm. in the market because, honestly, with new stuff, it's not 80-20. It's like 98-2. Like 98% of the new stuff is complete waste of time, and only 2% is actually going to be something you can build a platform on long term. The challenge today is with so many new things coming out and coming out so fast, that you you have to be, start becoming early adopters, but in terms of it doing, and I always think in terms of, of being an experimenter. I guess it comes back to all the split testing and stuff I've done. Everything's an experiment to me. But when I'm doing an experiment, I either want to get a win very quickly or fail very quickly. I um, mean, in fact, I, my preference is to fail fast uh, in, over even mm-hmm. getting a a quick win, particularly in a new platform like this. And so people, I think, have got to start doing that, where they they dip their toe in on several of these new things to try to determine which one is going to be best for them and their business, and most importantly, their target audience. So if your target audience isn't on Blab right now, um, then by all means, stay away from it. <laughs> but. I think some of us, yeah. you know, there's there's a big part of our crowd heading in that direction, and so it's so probably where we need to zig. Well, well and I mean that was zag. just five
2: seconds after Periscope. Like
0: we it were was, all we That's we no have a nice.
2: student we have a student who really found Periscope to be really amazing. And the day that it came out, and the day that he did his first one, and he started that week, you know, being more scarce, he's completely fallen off. The, it Periscope has eaten one of our clients. It just, they just, yeah. it just ate him. They're gone. And I'm, I'm sure that he's doing good. I hinted to him. He knows who I'm talking about. He's probably listening right now. I hinted <laughs> to him, if you're going to do that, there's probably going to be a need for the first course on uh, one of the affiliate networks to be how to uh, you know, monetize Periscope, how to get traffic and leads, how to do something with Periscope. I dropped Not that too. in his ear, but he was gone. <laughs> and guess what I saw yesterday? How to make two to $5,000 a month with Periscope. And it's on, uh, I think know. it's on JVZoo, and um, it's, uh, it's selling. Yep. I <laughs> so think there that's you a go, Jason. Listen to me next launch. time. <laughs> yep. What's Jack, up?
1: not paying attention I, I, to my notes to you, so I'm just going to have to jump in here for a second. Well, go right on ahead. I'm walking. For, are you still writing for the Conversion Doctor blog?
0: You know what I, I moved away from that brand because i um you know i haven't boy, I haven't posted that like in years um you know and i I moved actually away from even teaching in in the space to just actually doing this stuff in my own company so i so I only about ten percent of my time uh you know work with any kind of clients but the the reason I moved away from just focusing and in, in branding myself uh in terms of my expertise on conversion is because clients would keep coming to me saying they had conversion problems, but they actually had much deeper business growth kind of problems, scalability problems, and and things like that. I mean, I remember early on with the conversion doctor, I I actually had uh, a customer come to me, and he had an online uh, sporting goods store, um, you know, said he wanted to improve conversions, and and so I got in there, and we did it. You know, within about 90 days, he, he went from converting, I think, one out of... Ten thousand I mean his conversion was atrocious. There was actual technical physical things that people i 'm amazed anybody could actually buy from this site. It was so horrible but um, but anyways, we, we revamped everything uh, increases persuasion, and usability, and he went from converting one out of ten thousand to one out of a hundred, which still wasn 't you know stellar by by any stretch, but it was a hundred fold increase which he just did not have the systems and procedures and inventory and any of that to handle it, and it put him out of business. He, he went from doing about $10,000 a month online to uh, five, six $600,000 a month in 90 days, and, I mean, just blew him up. I mean, he had chargebacks because he, he couldn't ship, wow. and I mean, it was, it was just horrible. I felt bad about that, and so I, I really started focusing on what I do in my own business and helping my clients do that. We'll help them put the systems and procedures for rapid scalability in place before focusing on the conversion and the marketing, Um, and I've even taken that one step further with with a lot of them that I work with on a one-on-one basis in terms of coaching, is even if you've got the marketing right, even if you've got the systems and procedures right, you have to have the right mindset. Because I've had other clients over the years that, that they came on board. We built the systems and procedures so they had the scalability, increased the conversion, increased the traffic, but for whatever reason, their their mindset, um, I, I believe people have an internal kind of financial thermostat, and as the business grows, they, they get uncomfortable and start self-sabotaging and, and doing things. And So so really, to get sustainable long-term growth in, in your own business or in the business of somebody you're coaching or working with, you've got to address all three. You've got to address the marketing and the conversion and the traffic side, but you also have to make sure they've got the right systems and procedures and also the right mindset to, to be able to handle the growth. So,
1: I wonder why I like your stuff so much. At DU, <laughs> we kind of do the same thing. There's there's always those two sets of problems you can help people to solve. There's those problems they know they have that they're actively out there looking for solutions to, like traffic, like conversion. And then there's all yep. those you don't know what you don't know problems, the things they really need to know that they have no clue that they need to know that they're not out there looking for. The reason Um, I even asked about the conversion doctor is because you used to publish so much of what you were doing with your testing on that site. And man, Jack, what I learned from Eric about
0: conversion, (laughs) holy cow. Well, I mean, there's actually a selfish reason why I stopped sharing as much test result data Um, And and that is a a lot of the data I was sharing, number one, was tactical kind of test results, you know, this headline color versus this headline color and things like that, which obviously tactics change and evolve. But I saw a direct correlation between when I would publish a a test result and then everybody in, in at least our segment of the universe would go out and without testing it in their own offers copy it and the problem is, in a lot of cases, those tactical things, if they're overused by too many people, they lose effectiveness. And so I saw that every time I published some of my own test data, uh, about three to six months later, it would stop working in my own business. So, so I was a little selfish really in would. pulling back. But
1: <laughs> Whenever I was reading that site and seeing those tests that you were publishing, I'd always go look for the date. And after a while, you took the dates off of it. And the yep. date would always tell me whether it was something to try or not try. If I caught it really <laughs> quick, the first 30 days, oh, awesome thing to go and do. Oh, absolutely. If I caught it more oh, like absolutely. five to six months later, oh, not
0: so good anymore. Yep, everybody was doing it. So, yep, I yeah, was notorious so, for those big, ugly buttons with the, the red border that changed to green and... Oh, I loved those, and those have got <laughs> huge boosts in, in opt-in conversions and stuff uh, back in the day. But uh, yeah, even that doesn't work anymore. So
1: <laughs> you were even nice and published the code for
0: all of us to swipe. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's still some what? buttons floating
2: around the DU verse somewhere with, that are changing from red to green right now.
0: Oh, and so well, in, in it's the hard to get cases, rid of them. <laughs> I, I well leave them because I have revisited. I probably shouldn't even share this. I've revisited that test, and so while it was really really hot and everybody was doing it, uh, obviously the the response went down a little bit. But now so few people are doing it anymore that they're starting to convert again. So, hard in the note, thank but, you. Yeah. But but even, even with sharing the test results and stuff, I mean I, I just because I didn't want to brand myself strictly around conversion is, is one of the main reasons I moved away from that. But I, I have a kind of a core fundamental belief, which is why I'm still okay with sharing results, is that money is a measure of exchange to value. You know, and I really believe this on a on a deep level. And so the more value you create and deliver and the more people you create and deliver that value for, the more money that's going to come back, at, or at least the more value. It's not always a dollar-for-dollar um, dollar exchange, but the more value that's going to come back to you as a natural consequence. It's just a, a law of nature. And so um, so I'm, I'm okay with, with sharing and, and giving because I know it's going to come back in some other form. so
2: well that was awfully woo woo of you Eric that's awesome. We're kind of <laughs> woo woo here too. Well it's, it's not We believe the exact same standpoint. thing. I mean,
0: yeah, it, it's it there there's a woo woo element to it but but it really is just a, a fundamental law. There's one of my uh, coaching clients is an adjunct professor at Harvard and every year or two he'll bring me in to speak to some of their uh, MBA students and it's so mind-boggling how few people really understand what money is. So so I was uh, speaking to this uh, group at Harvard. I mean, these are the best and brightest business young business minds in the, in the country. And some of them, not so young. There's some CEOs of, of companies that went back to get their MBA. But I asked the question, you know, what is money? And they gave me the most convoluted answers about, you know, M one and all of these you know, crazy like, <laughs> economics based formulas and all of this. and, And, you know, I let him go for about five minutes with all these just wild definitions of money. And I just say, no, money is a measure of exchanged value. That is it. And, uh, I mean, he saw a a few of them. Uh, The light bulb came on. But I really wish more people in the the Internet marketing space would really wrap their mind around that concept that it's all about the value exchange because then all of the the snake oil kind of things – would just naturally go away. I mean, they they don't realize that they're going to make so much more money long term, actually selling and delivering and hopefully over delivering on value than they ever do making a quick buck trying to trick somebody. And so, um, and, oh and that's man, another and it's taken
2: on it's take, it's taken on another dimension. Uh, the the latest uh, Fortune magazine is completely about um, businesses, corporations, and billionaires figuring out that if we don't do something about certain, you know, political social justice issues, things like that, uh how much we pay our employees with record all time, uh profit margins, uh human in human history, something bad might happen. And now they're coming up with a yeah. whole new component of what value is. Like I'm only going to shop at this company because they made the list at uh uh Just Change or Just Cause. Um and which is a new nonprofit started by a billionaire uh, yep. who recognizes that something needs to be done, and he's coming up with a new list of how major corporations are ranked um, based on uh, social justice issues, how much they pay their employees, how mu- how well they take care of their employees, and uh, maybe the environment or, or whatever, but new metrics that are outside the Wall Street metrics that are inclusive exactly. of that too. They have to take care of their shareholders, of course, but, and it's like, wow, this whole... I mean, you know, Fortune Magazine is not Mother Jones, and no. you know, for them to have an entire issue dedicated to uh, all these different stories about how much uh, businesses, and then we had a pretty rousing discussion or two not uh, too long ago, Gina, with a lot of other people around B Corps, and so my, I bring all of that up just to just to say is if anybody listening is not listening to that, you're missing the boat on something really big. You may you may be on blab, and that's fine. But if you're not catching on that the, the biggest people, the biggest corporations all around the world are sensing a, a big sea change, then you're missing yeah. the biggest news of our day, of our decade, of our generation probably, because the way things have been done are about to change radically. And it's and it's and for, for some reason, and this is one of the first times in my life, in my lifetime, I've ever said this, it's coming somewhat from the top. Not just from the bottom or from the middle. It's coming actually from the guys who make all the money and the corporations who sell us all the products. And they're they're not in my lifetime have they ever gotten together and said, you know what, we ought to we ought to think about this stuff. I mean, this is pretty big stuff. So that's a big one that you might want to talk about a little bit. I'm sure you saw some of this stuff coming and read some of these kinds of articles.
0: Oh, absolutely, Jackie. And you really uh, really hit it right on the head there. Uh, and it is coming from the top, but it's not coming from from the top of government. It's coming from the top in business. Like some of these uh you know, socially right. conscious billionaires are the ones doing it. So these are free market kind of solutions to things that up till now the government has been trying to legislate and regulate and, and that it really fires me up. And, and excites me. I mean, one of my personal mentors, as you can probably imagine from my, my business model of having, you know, dozens and dozens of companies is this Richard Branson. And I think he really exemplifies this. And that's why I love any time I can spend any time with Richard and, and pick his brain on this. He's all about that. He's all about giving back and, and, you know, talk about, you know, treating his employees well and, and you know, not yeah. just valuing them in terms of what he pays them, but valuing them in terms of their opinions and, And whatnot. I mean, he's just just incredible uh, in in terms of what he does there. But but you're absolutely right. It's both a a socially conscious thing, but also those at the top—they're not dumb people. Okay, they're also doing it for business reasons because there's certain elements within the the economy that's just not sustainable if there isn't a, a little bit of that going on. so And it's interesting you brought up right. shareholder value. I was actually um, speaking at a uh, shareholders meeting for, for a company I'm a, an angel investor for and have a, a pretty decent, uh, uh, sizable chunk of. And we were talking about that. Every, everybody else was talking about how to increase shareholder value. Uh, well, it was my turn to, to kind of speak, you know, I, I – uh, you had to tell them that they got it backwards. In, in I don't care if this is from a small company to a huge company. If you want to increase shareholder value, you have to first and foremost focus on increasing customer value. Okay, The more value you can deliver to the end customers, shareholder value will take care of itself if you handle customer value. And so many businesses um, nowadays, especially in the United States, they're so focused on their Their stock price for the next quarter that they 're making these stupid short term decisions that hurt mm-hmm. long term customer value, yeah, it might make the books look better for you know the next quarter or the next fiscal year, but long term they 're eroding and eroding and eroding customer value, and that 's always going to come back to bite them. And so um, I, so in in your own businesses, I, I strongly encourage people to take that longer-term view. It's not just the next launch or the next pitch or the next promotion. It's you know thinking like a chess player. You want to think three or four moves down the board. How is what I'm doing right now um, going to add enough value to my market to take me and my company where we want to be three years from now, five years from now? So.
2: And it's an instant win proposition. It may sound... Someone might be listening thinking, well, you're talking about like tightening my belt and sacrificing or something. In this sh-. And that's not what we're saying here. No, <laughs> and that's not, not what these all. guys are saying either. It is an immediate boon to your business to stand out in any way that it can. And there's no way that your business could stand out bigger right now, especially in certain spaces like Internet marketing, than to align yourself and make part of your brand, part of your structure, from the very beginning, not an afterthought, not if you buy this, 5% will go to an organization. That stuff's been done, and it, you know people generally don't even know if that's actually true. I mean, we can't verify that. When exactly. you, but if you can stand out in your market, that's going to make you more money. It's going to get you more attention. It's going to get you more sales. And there's no better way to stand out than the way that people are really, really screaming for now. in in Across any market you can think of, is I want to know who I'm doing business with because you guys don't show up on social. You don't do this stuff. You can't be the nameless, faceless corporation anymore or the nameless, faceless um, consulting business or, or whatever. And, and you can't. we already know you can't go out on social and talk about your products and services all day long. You can do that five, maybe 10% of the time, maybe. If you're really, really good on the other 90%, they'll let you talk about your – so what are you going to do? You have to stay top of mind. Facebook's own algorithm will drop you out of people's view if you don't communicate and they don't engage with you enough. So you, you have to talk a lot more than you have to talk about unless you bring something else into your world that is meaningful to people. And this is the best thing in the world to do. Pick something and do good in the world and make that a really more of a primary focus in your business than a side effect. Like, oh, by the way, pr- proceeds go to, you know, that stuff that's already yeah. been done.
0: Yep. No, that, that's exactly right. And I mean, I, and we talked about Joel earlier. I mean, that's his new hashtag motto, T-shirts, everything, do good stuff, you know. So, I mean, it, yeah. it's all about giving back. And you, you hit the nail on the head with the, the people don't want to buy from a nameless, faceless corporation. They want to buy from a person. They want that relationship with a person. Something I use uh, in my keynotes when I speak from stage, um, I, I tell the story about Wendy's and how Dave Thomas, he dis despised going out in those commercials. He hated being on camera, but every time he wasn't out as the face of Wendy's in those commercials, sales would go down, and every time he got back out there, sales would go up. Now some slides I need to take out of my keynote now is I had a case study about Subway when they had Jared come out and and their sales exploded having that face of Jared. I think I probably need to remove those from my slides for my next keynote. But Yeah, (laughs)
2: pick somebody else. Somebody else is losing weight with Subway. Pick them.
0: (laughs) exactly, Exactly. But the business case is there. I mean people want that person that they can they can associate with the brand and it becomes even more important in social and Becomes even more important as you start to give back and um, you know create a, a charitable, socially responsible angle for for your company and business.
1: Eric, oh. do you know Simon Hi. Mainwaring
0: from the book We First? Uh, what, what was that? I didn't, didn't hear the first part of the question. There. Simon
1: yeah. Simon
0: Mainwaring. You know, that's uh, not one I've ran across yet. Uh, his book is
1: amazing. It's WeFirstBranding.com. We Simon is actually okay. one of our adjunct faculty members at Directions University. He Great. His book is about a concept he calls social branding. It's using the power of social media to tell the story of the good your brand is doing in the world. His clients are really big companies, the Nikes, the Microsofts. He recently got a contract with 3M to do this with every division within 3M. I mean, really big companies. He has one course that he created that is specifically for small businesses like you know our kinds of companies. And if you look at the trend in what the bigger brands do in their marketing, Take a look at Super Bowl ads, for example. Until two years ago, we had, you know, the funny, memorable commercials on Super Bowls that would often turn viral. The last two years, we've had very, very different messages in those commercials. They're examples of what Simon would call social branding, telling the story of the good your brand is doing in the world. And at the end, you see a little logo that says Microsoft or Budweiser or whatever. I think there are two ways of getting people to identify with a face. One is to identify with a face like Dave Thomas. The other is what you see in those commercials. And Apple has been doing this so well for many, 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 many years. It's not the face of someone within the company. It's the face of a person in the story whose life has been impacted by the company. Either way, it's still a face.
0: Oh, absolutely, Gina. Well, yeah, I I read a couple books a week, so I'll put Simon's book on my uh on my to-read list. So I that right after we Oh, uh, let call. me know Please. what you think. You bet. Sorry, oh man. I, I, had
2: to jump I in. Go ahead, it. Jack. I just looked at the clock, and normally you just totally walk up and tap me on the shoulder during this thing, because we're on a big tirade, and uh, and it's getting close to time, and you surprise me, but now I realize we have four minutes, so oh, dang man. it. Well, first of all, let's get something out of the way. I don't know if you need anything, Eric, but if you do need people to go to a certain place to learn more about you, or a place that you're really excited about right now, go ahead and tell them a little bit about that.
0: Well, like I said, because I spend like 90% of my time doing it and only about 10% teaching it and all my coaching <laughs> programs are full and I really don't have anything to sell or pitch. I just showed up. To all right, then tell everybody your favorite charity and, and have them you go know, and the donate. To, to value. <laughs> but, but, well, there are a couple of URLs here. Um, you know, uh, There was a program that I, I taught about uh, oh about six months ago that I might be kicking off again um, You know, in, in the next few weeks. Uh, it's the Ultimate Conversion Transformation Program. Um, so if they want to get on kind of a waiting list, uh, if I open the doors back to that, uh, they can go to ultimateconversiontransformation.com. dot com. I don't blog a whole lot, but my my personal blog is uh, ericgram.org, dot org. O r g. I've tried to buy the dot com from the guy, and, and even for twenty five grand, he won't sell it. But he's not even using it. But anyway, <laughs> ericgram dot org uh, <laughs> post every now and then. Uh, might even slip in a test result uh, here or there on that one. So Gina, that might be the new conversion doctor for you. <laughs> And um, and then just to, again, just to kind of give back because I like to deliver value, um, you know, I, I don't do this very often, but I'll, I'll open up uh, my calendar over the next couple of weeks for just a, a few just strategy sessions where I can, you know, if somebody wants to ask me some questions, if, we got to, if they're stuck on a business problem or something like that, um, you know, I'll, I'll open it up to maybe three or four people if they want to uh, do that. If they go to ericgram.org forward slash apply, A-P-P-L-Y, um, you know, they can go ahead and sign up for a strategy session. But, yeah, other than that, I don't have anything to pitch or sell. I have just uh, had fun.
2: Awesome. Well, Gina, that's all I can do with Eric today. And if we extend this for two hours, I know I could get a lot more out of Eric. He, he hasn't even had to be tortured yet to give us all the information he has. So I think he's pretty easy.
1: I think so as well. And, boy, Eric. If you do decide to rerun the ultimate conversion transformation, please make sure you let us know.
0: Absolutely. I will make sure that I definitely Jack is will. first
1: in line for it. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. You got it. Yep, That's that's where I've got all of my test results over the last, you know, five or six years since I moved away from Conversion Doctor. That, that's where they'll be hidden. So. <laughs> Outstanding.
1: Well, thank you so much, Eric, for joining us today on Traffic yep. Masters. It has been a blast.
0: Well, thank you, Jean and Jack. And, I've really enjoyed myself.
1: And we will be back same time, same place next week for another episode here on Blog Talk Radio. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Jan.
0: Join us Tuesday at noon Eastern for the next episode of Traffic Masters, From traffic to conversion to business success.